Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 71 of Jen and Millie, where a Gen Xer and a millennial share the strength-based perspective through which they view the world. We are your hosts, Allison and Tess. Hi, Tess. Hi, how's it going? It's been a little while. It has been a little while. Have you been writing down your strengths every day? I have been most days, some days, but because I have really low discipline, I have not been doing it every day. Well, I did add a reminder in my phone. Oh, um, good so idea. I, every day, every morning, work, work days. Yeah. Yep. Every work day, I write them down and test. I still don't have them memorized. <laughs> Which um, I don't understand. I'm like, you know, I can, but. I don't know. I think I, <laughs> I can own some of them. I can't own responsibility. What is that about? And actually, I've been thinking on that. I think it's because I wrote this down to share this <laughs> phrase with you and I probably won't be able to find it now. But Put your reading glasses back on. Okay. You know how I talk about like I'm an inner rocker? Like yeah, I'm you're like hippie. Yep, I totally. I want to be yep. a rebel and yep. then I go to bed at 930. You and know, you just, have high responsibility. Yep, and I discipline. Yes. So <laughs> yep. I was reading um, and I can't remember where this came from, but um, the, so I, I've been doing the duality pieces, the, mm-hmm. um, you know, the and, beauty yeah. of the and. So um, the inner rock star and the wild child, the quiet writer and the world explorer, mm-hmm. the f- one who wants freedom and the one who wants commitment, the party girl and the responsible caretaker, the wild child and the disciplined parent, the shadow and the light, the light, the night and day, the dependent and the independent. And then I found this and I can't remember where I got it. It wasn't for me. The disciplined wild person. Ooh, that's good. That's making so much. That's good. So I think that's part of the reason that I can't always remember the responsibility is in my top 15. Also, as you pointed out when we were talking with Anna this week, I only claim one through nine connectedness. Eight. Um, you uh, claim nine as well. You cut it off after nine. Positive. Yeah. Yep. Because I'm not always positive. Yeah, which is fine. I think most most people generally cut it off after 10, 11, or 12 to claim their dominant. I You're the only person I know that cuts it off after 9 and doesn't claim 10 as dominant, but it's not... I mean, if that's you, that's what I love about the exercise, right? Because you're 34 and assessing your full set of strengths is very scientific, right? Very valid, very black and white, right? This is you, um, unless you're going into it, obviously, with some bias. But um, the the reflection of identifying dominant, supporting, and lesser talents is a little bit of a personal self-reflection judgment call and so I would say while and I think that those lines as much as we do draw lines right I think there are times and seasons in our lives where those lines can shift a little bit right so Mm -hmm. there comes the time right so we're in the middle of a global pandemic there are major issues of injustice being brought to light there is death all around us there are germs all around us right so obviously you probably don't want to claim positivity is dominant but there might be other seasons in your life where positivity is always you for a period of time right so i think that those probably can fluctuate a little bit right because there are they are self-ascribed 
boundaries, right? We are the people who draw the lines. There are great instructions from Gallup about asking questions about, is this always me? And asking, you know, or saying this is never me, right? But those lines we draw ourselves and we're not the best, you know, scientists on our own self, right? We have very cloudy judgments on our own talents. And so I think that we draw the lines, but I think those lines should be drawn in pencil because there are times when they might get adjusted or moved around. They're not going to all of a sudden be cutting off at 15 for your dominant themes. Um, They're not all of a sudden going to be cutting off at seven probably, right? But somewhere between 10 and 13, nine and 13 generally is where people draw the line of dominance. And so I was, what I was going to share with you is that I think I would claim positivity during this time because the phrase we can do better is something that I keep saying out loud. I keep speaking on behalf of the organization with Mm -hmm. that language. Um, And I've been thinking a lot about my own personal journey in learning and how positivity says to me intrinsically, Allison, you can do better. Yeah, that's good. there is more to learn and more to do. And I know that we kind of talked a little bit about this is um, a very illuminating time. Crisis is a great revealer, mm-hmm. as we've talked about. I, that phrase, boy, yep. thank you, son. I? <laughs> um, but I think that one of the things that I really want to give appreciation and gratitude to you for, Tess, is that you have... You know, I like to call you Professor Tess because you are a gifted teacher, but you are such a gifted example to me. And I know that racial injustice has been advocacy work that you have been doing for over eight years. You have been one of the best examples to me, walking through your faith, walking through your values, walking through you as an individual and as a person to really consider um, how can we do better? Mm -hmm. As you and I both being um, white women of privilege, Mm -hmm. how can we do better? Um, So I've watched you be that example to me um, and you have walked through that in many, many ways in your advocacy work, but I can think back to um, it was Gallup Summit when we were doing the values um, session. Um, I can't think of her name. She's such a great teacher, and we used her. We used her work. Um, oh yeah, that yeah. Next purpose. Next, um, yeah, writing training. a purpose statement. Yeah, yeah. Right. But she had you know first focus on your values, and then you crafted this purpose statement, mm-hmm. and you turned to me with your tears with tears in your eyes, and like I mean you knew mm-hmm. in that moment that you wanted to do more. Um, regarding advocacy for incarceration, advocacy for racial injustice, advocacy um, for so many, we can do better scenarios Mm -hmm. that I just wanna thank you. I know we reached out to you right away um, for recommended reading um, on our inclusion toolkit I continue to learn from you in a lot of ways. I am in a place of listening and learning, um, which may look like silence. And I I acknowledge that and recognize that, but I am really digging in and learning Mm. and reading and listening 
and watching and trying to do better. Yeah, that's good. Good. Well, thank you. Yeah, this is an issue near and dear to my heart. And gosh, I remember, I don't remember what summer it was, but it was we, a bunch of us on staff went to the Global Leadership Summit. And I don't know if you remember this. Um, it was long before the movie Just Mercy came out. And we've talked that that's one of my favorite books. And it became a movie this past um winter it's now available on amazon for free because of all that's going on they made it um, a free resource for people to watch because it's based on real life stories that have actually happened and it was written by brian stevenson who is the um the founding member of the equal justice initiative and serves as the executive director which works um primarily with um inmates on death row that weren't given a fair trial or had a lot of implicit racial bias going on in their jury um you know which resulted not in a fair trial um or wrongfully convicted people um as well as people that didn't get a fair trial that would were guilty um but uh but anyway so he spoke at gls and i think i was still i was still at creighton i think i was an intern that summer still Uh i wasn't on full time so this would have been five years ago maybe and he spoke and i like cried through that whole session and I was sitting here with everybody from teammates and they're like oh that was informative you know I'm just like a blubbering mess because it's so like every time this issue gets brought up and you know and we talk about this with icky guy right when we talk about purpose when we talk about the intersections of your circle I think one of the best questions you can ask not just where are your passions what are you good at but when you look out into the world what makes your heart break like when you look out and for some people it's the people that stand on the corner right that are homeless it's you know it's veterans that come back disabled and aren't given resources it's you know everyone has that different thing right and this has been mine for a long time and i love that it's becoming very like for lack of a better word, mainstream, like people are talking about it that haven't talked about this issue before. And I'm grateful for that. But as you know, as we've had in private conversations, it's been frustrating too, because I have learned about this for a long time. I've been working in my own way to help correct this for a long time, working, you know, and volunteering at DCC, volunteering, you know, to help bring resources to inmates, just even in my my work of academia, as well as um, like personally in the church, like these things have always been on my heart. And I'm really glad people are taking the time to learn about it. What I would encourage, right, is that you know, someone had a really great tweet that said the fact that you can learn about that, the fact that some people are just learning about racism, right? And don't have to live it means that you're unprivileged, right? If you just get to learn, right? If you just get to learn about racism and you're not personally affected by it in a negative way, right? We're affected by it in a positive way, right? Because that's our place of privilege of being born into that. Um, the fact that you just get to learn about it and not experience it is sitting in privilege. And so yes. that's what, it's that, yeah. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. If people could yeah. just really hear yeah. that, it's that simple. If you're just starting to learn and I'm, I'm not trying to shame yep. anyone yeah, in trying, yeah, yeah. just starting to learn, but if you're just starting to learn, or if you are what I just said, mm-hmm. really digging deep and trying to listen and learn, then you are in 
a place of privilege. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that, and, and something that I do want to encourage people in as much as I want to encourage people to continue to learn. Um, I first want to say that the word privilege and talking about white privilege has, I think at least, and we've both talked about how we're recovering Catholics. It can feel guilty to sit in a place of privilege, right? It can feel like that is a dirty word that is, you know, negative, automatically shame and guilt is applied to you, but you can't change that, right? It's our social construction from our society. So acknowledge the fact that you're in a place of privilege, right? Accept it, but then use your privilege to help fix this issue, right? Another Mm -hmm. great tweet, there's been so many great things that have come out, um, was if, um, you know, that racism will be corrected, white supremacy will be corrected as soon as white people realize that it's their system that they've constructed and they need to fix it rather than black people advocating for it to be corrected, right? That it has been constructed from the beginning of our society this way, right? America was founded on, you know, um, exiling native people, right? And, um, you know, and uh, it was a whole race, or it was a whole religion war, right? Like they left, people were exiled because of their religious beliefs, um, for the most part, to the Americas, or because they were imprisoned, um, or because, you know, they rebelled against the crown, like they were sent to America, like this isn't, you know, oppressing people and, and creating, uh, you know, um, stratification in our society, inequality in our society has been present since before our society was a country and was a society, right? The United States. And it's it's in all sorts of different forms, right? In all different societies, but mm-hmm. it's been based on race in the United States and the concept and construct of race, right? Um, and so, yeah, so you can't shed yourself of your privilege, right? But I think, you know, using it in a way that is helpful to mitigate the negative effects of systemic racism, right, is then our opportunity. And I had an incredible conversation recently with a lady that I go to church with, which I'm always a little bit hesitant, and we've talked about this. Like, I am a faithful church-going member. Um, There's a lot of people in the church who, for lack of a better word, are a bit ignorant about what's going on. and there are a lot of people outside of the church too, right? But she called me to check in on how I was doing and we pray together a lot. And so I was really excited to talk to her and she started to bring up this subject and I was a little nervous about where she was going, right? Because a lot of people that I've talked to are said, you know, have said, and a new poll came out recently. Um, I read an article about it in um, the Washington Post, but they didn't do the poll, but it was um, 71 to 74% of Americans um, support the protests that are going on. And over 50% in every single party line. So a lot of people agree that change needs to happen. They agree with the protests. But the caveat is always, but they're, but protesters vandalize and protesters ruin buildings and protesters break glass, like these things. And so I was a little nervous that's where the conversation was headed, but it was not at all. And I was kind of blown away. And, you know, essentially she said, I was in a meeting where I looked around and when we started to broach the subject of what's been happening with the protests, um, there was some space for questions. And I said, why aren't there any people of color in this group? And the leader kind of step back and was like, oh, (laughs) you know, and it was uncomfortable and she didn't get a great response, but it was the question on her heart and she asked it. And so I was like, I am so proud to be your friend. Um, But what we talked about was like, 
you know, and this is a kind of a Christian analogy, which is always a good reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are exclusively our views and not a teammates mentoring program at large. But um, but this is kind of a, a religious illustration. But we talk all the time about um, if you know the gospel, if you know Jesus, right, if you've, you know, declared your faith, um, you've been baptized, you've been, you know, you've declared your faith in some way, you are then held accountable to the gospel message. So serving the poor, um, right? Um, not lying, not killing, you know, whatever it is, like, you know, those sorts of things, living righteously, praying, things like that. But if you are have declared the gospel in your own life, you can't help hold other people accountable to it if they haven't done that in their own life, right? So I can't hold my neighbor accountable who doesn't know Jesus. I can't hold him accountable to the ways of Jesus because he doesn't know Jesus, right? Like it's as simple as that. The same is true for people who don't understand privilege and don't understand the role of race in our society and systemic racism. If you don't know, I can't judge you for that because you've never been enlightened to the fact that this is so incredibly embedded. But once people start to realize it, then we get to hold them accountable, right? So your steps of learning, Allie, are incredible and I'm so grateful you're doing it. Now I get to say what actions are you taking as a result, Mm -hmm. right? How is Mm -hmm. this learning transforming you and your behavior? How is it, um, you know, is it bringing you to vote? Um, is it bringing you to support black businesses, right? Is it um, propelling you to call your representatives and demand justice, right? A black man was killed in the old market, in the protests, right? I have been on the phone with the DA and the mayor and signing petitions, right? Because I know that that would not have happened if racism didn't exist in our society, right? And so that's the beautiful thing is, right, once we acknowledge our privilege, we get to use it. But then another beautiful tweet that I heard, and then I'll get off my soapbox, um, was um, was somebody um, that was talking about, you know, steps you can do to be anti-racist, right? Because saying, you know, Dr. Um, Abraham um, Kendi is wonderful. And I, I put a couple I put a couple books of his on I have the, been absolutely, I mean, going through yeah. everything that he's ever written yeah. and just... It's so great. Appreciated. And he was so on um, Brene Brown's um, podcast, yeah. um, Unlocking Us, if you want to listen to that episode. But I read, he came out with a new book this past fall, and it was part of my, my social justice book club. If you can't tell I'm a geek and love this kind of stuff. Like I have a book club of people that we that are very passionate about justice issues. And we read his book. I think it was our September or October book club. It had just come out, I think, in July of last year. And... Um, And so we read this book and his whole idea, he's very technical. He gives a definition at the beginning of each chapter of the book, which is wonderful um, to be like really clear and explicit about it. And so essentially he said, there's a lot of people who say, well, I'm not a racist and being not a racist is not enough, right? Because it's so embedded within our system that neutrality actually means you're complicit with it, right? It's guilty by omission. Uh, And so his whole call is it's not enough to be not a racist, right? You have to be an anti-racist. Your steps, your behavior, your action, your words need to be working against the system, right? It's like being in a river that is just flowing, right? If you stand there, you're eventually going to get swept up into the current. That's the current of our policies, of individual racism, of structural racism, of systemic racism, that if you're not actively working against it, you will be 
swept up into it. And we've all been complicit in that in one way or another, right? Um, but, you know, essentially his whole call is to work against it in some way. And so I love that people are learning. But back to this kind of tweet and these steps about how do you be an anti-racist, one of them is it's great to learn. It's really important that you learn about it. But while you learn, know that people are dying. And it, it's literally as simple as that, right? People are dying because of their race. And so it's super important to learn, but what actions are you taking um, as a result of it? Because there is, an, and there always has been urgency with this issue. And I'm really glad that it's being brought to light in such a powerful way. And people are like, what are the protests doing? What is this doing? And we can say, I can list everything that has happened because this has come to light, right? Like there's a defunding of the Minneapolis Police Department, right? Um, the University of Minnesota and the um, Minneapolis um, public school systems are no longer having resource officers or using the MPD for security. Um, New York City just yesterday banned ch- the use of chokeholds in their um, in their police officers, which is huge. Like all of these things that have happened as a result of it, which is wonderful. And I think it does and needs to enlighten the work that we do at teammates, right? We work with school systems. And if you look at the stats, there are more school resource officers, trained police officers in schools than there are school social workers and psychologists. And that is scary. That's really scary that instead of having the resources that people need to correct some of the things that lead to incarceration in our society, we're putting a police officer in schools. And school safety Mm -hmm. is important. Safety is one of our core values, right? But if we want to talk about people actually being able to reach their full potential, we should be funding a school social worker or a school psychologist in schools rather than funding putting a police officer in schools, in in my opinion. Again, views and opinions expressed in this podcast are exclusively ours, but I'll get off my soapbox. I I could go on and on. There were a couple things that um, I noted. Um, so how to be an anti-racist. He's coming out with a baby board book. Um, ah, so like a, a baby yes. board book, um, which I think is such a testament to where do we take action and how do we start mm-hmm. and how do we continue? Yeah. Um, share the mic now. Yesterday oh, I thought was an absolutely beautiful um, way for white women of privilege to um be able to use their platform yep, to absolutely. be able to share um um mm-hmm. black voices it was really yeah. really it was wonderful to listen to and just a few that i listened to i loved that um they had do outs they had homework they had action mm-hmm. items and um can't remember there were so many i think it was i'll have to look back but her homework was have a conversation with another white woman. It's hmm. good. That was her homework. And be okay being uncomfortable. Yeah. Because these are, are, are at times difficult conversations. And I think one of the things that I have greatly appreciated about since March, I have had to have more difficult conversations than I've ever had. It's good. Ever. Um, I also think that going live, so even here, (laughs) communication being my number two, I try to be really thoughtful about the fact that I verbally process out loud. Mm. And I don't always 
mean what I'm saying to be like an action item. I just putting it out there and, yeah. and, and thinking through it. I can't do that on Facebook Live. Mm-mm. I don't yeah. have that option. Yeah. I can't do that um, on a podcast. I don't ha- I mean, I can, I can do can it more do so it, on a podcast. Yeah. Because if, you know, you can say, we're not going to publish this. But I can't do that on Facebook Live. And as hard as that has been for me, it has been really, really good for me. Um, and I've thought of a lot about how to share the mic. Um, That's good. If you yeah. listened last week, I said, please take the time that yeah. you would spend here with me and listen to other voices. Yes. Go to our inclusion toolkit. Um, look at some of the great material there. Start learning. Start listening. Start reading. Start getting educated yes. about and You know, context is my number, whatever it is. Like History is not my gig. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I practically flunked it in most yeah. um, mm-hmm. most of my education journey, even art history. Wow. I, I got a D. Um, <laughs> so, but, but mm-hmm. for me, I am really trying to understand how much better we can do. Yeah. And why is it? that we aren't doing mm-hmm. better. And yeah. if you, you have to look, you have to look back at the history mm-hmm. of how we got to today yeah. in order to understand that you don't have to have all the dates, right? Yeah. You don't have to have all the dates, right? Mm-hmm. To understand redlining. Yeah. Yeah. There's or, even mm-hmm. a beautiful, if you go to our inclusion toolkit, there's a beautiful, um, um, animation that yeah. explains, redlining. um, redlining oh. and explains, really systemic racism so I don't know that I do Mm -hmm. oh go ahead you you can do a lot Mm -hmm. by just saying that you're going to pause and start learning Mm -hmm. and start having some conversations I know that for many of us they may be uncomfortable yeah but that's where growth is. Absolutely. Yep. It's right that's beyond the edge is, of your comfort zone. Is. We talk about that a lot. Yep. Growth is just beyond the boundary of your comfort zone. Um, I and will I say also if, love that you are so always test, you know, and are in alignment with your values. There's a giant age gap between the two of us. And I think of all the things that I most admire you for. It's that you are, you are, and you stay, and you work to be in alignment with your, with your values. I feel like at 45, I still get out of alignment. And Hmm. I've noticed this during COVID, during pandemic, everyone around me is like, you've been cooped up too long. You're in the house by yourself too much. Oh, you shouldn't be alone all the time. You need to do this, this, and this. And BS. (laughs) You know what this has been for me? This has been a permission to be still and heal. Mm, so this good. has been permission mm-hmm. for me to get real with me. And mm. I put so much value into everybody else's expectations of me. Mm-hmm. So much. And I know that's kind of basement of woo a lot with my empathy too. But I am sick of living for other people. I am sick of... If, if you care and love me and even if you don't love me, if you care and support me, then you'll have my back. Yeah, that's good. And 
you'll also have my back when I screw it up and you'll also have my back when I'm uncomfortable. You'll have my back when I maybe do need someone to say, okay, now what's your action step? Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, Because that's, that's a, a circle that everyone deserves to have. Yeah. It's not a safety net. It's like a circle of encouragement and unconditional love and support and accountability, right? Like built in accountability for it. And I think that's what a lot of people are missing. Right. And when we look at our circles, our circles are often comprised of people who look like us, who've walked through similar experiences as us. And so I think that that's an actionable step, right? Look at your circle. Who are the voices you're listening to? We've talked on the podcast before about your board of directors. What is the demographic of your personal board of directors? Do you have people with different life experiences, different backgrounds, different races and ethnicity, right? Different socioeconomic statuses around your table, right? Naturally, you're going to have similar people around your table. That's the sociological phenomenon of the comfort of sameness, right? We gravitate towards people who have similar backgrounds as we do, but we aren't going to grow if we don't start to listen to other voices and other lived experiences, especially in this area. And you're right. I think part of why this has hit me is because I understand history and I and I love it and I sit in it and I see how it's been transformed but all of us do have a duty in order to 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 do that same thing whether or not we naturally have high context and I think one of the things that's been most Mm -hmm. illuminating is there is there was a graphic that went around um with charted dates that was it was kind of like a bar graph but it almost looked like a speedometer and it showed the history of racism or the history of slavery, the number of years of slavery, and then it had the number of years of segregation, Jim Crow era, um, and then it had from segregation to the present. And the proportion, when you simply look at it, is profound, right? You know, hundreds of years of slavery, um, several decades of segregation, and only several decades of attempted reconstruction after that, right? There was a graphic about the first... Um, black young girl who was allowed to go into a white school. I think it was in Tennessee after Brown v. v Board of Education was passed. She's only 64 right now, right? She's right. living, right? Like Martin Luther King Jr. would be living today had he not been assassinated, right? Like I don't think people realize they have this concept that that the, the civil rights movement, that racism, that segregation, that Jim Crow laws were like so long ago, right? But in reality, they aren't right? It's a contemporary issue, right? It's a current issue. There are people living today who went to segregated schools, right? Kamala Harris, former Democratic presidential candidate, talked about how she was bused to a separate school because of Brown v. v. Board of Education in order to segregate people because of redlining. She lived in a certain district where it was only a black school. And so in attempt to desegregate, she was had to ride a bus for like an hour every day to get out to a white school, right? Like, you know, so I do want to. I think that. Oh, that I just helps us remember program wide, mm-hmm. teammates wide. Yeah. The effects of trauma. Mm-hmm. And being trauma informed right now is yes. as important as ever. And so I think that whether you think this applies to you or not, <laughs> yep. It's it, being trauma informed is really really important because you're right I mean this is this is not that far away history yep 
totally. And I, I also wanted to note when we talk about mental health, when we talk about well-being, um, when we talk about caring for people, right? Racism is listed as a disorder in the DSM, right? Like it is a mental health issue and people experience trauma every single day. And the fact that this is becoming an explicit conversation, the fact that unfortunately our society has politicized it along party, like political party lines, like these sorts of things. Like if you know someone, if you know a person of color in your life, be brave enough to ask them how they're doing in light of this, right? Like there's this idea that, you know, and we are are such um, like children of the, uh, you know, colorblind rhetoric, which is so destructive that we are even, I think we have cowardice when it comes to actually engaging in conversation about it. And so reach out to people that you know. If you are a coordinator, reach out to your mentees. Like, and I don't want to give a bunch of, you know, action item steps, but people are experiencing trauma because this conversation has become explicit, right? And, and they've lived through being a, a negative beneficiary, right, or a, a negative recipient um, of racism, right? It comes back to the whole idea that if you just get to learn about it, you're, you know, you're coming from a place of privilege, right? Um, if the people that have had to live this, right, all of these things are percolating back up to the surface because of this. And, and I'm grateful for that, right? Because we've talked in the past that you know, things can't be healed unless they're exposed. Like when you think about a wound, you know, um, you know, or a scab until something is exposed, it can't be healed. So I think this is a step in healing for our country and for our society, but it's painful, right? When wounds are open, when they're left open to fester before they can get to healing, they have to bleed out and they have to fester and it's painful. Right. And so, and so have at the, the conversation. same time that there are, yeah. are old wounds, there yeah. are new yes. Yeah. New wounds yep. at the same time yep. have like this this time frame. Mm-hmm. I just read an article about you know what are going to be the long term effects yeah. on our kids yep. as a result of the of of what twenty twenty has brought. Yes, in so many levels. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, we have to constantly remind ourselves that we do we show up for someone mm-hmm. else. It is, we show up for the other person. So I'm going to say this constantly to mentors as much as I can. It is not about you. You show up anyway, because you're, when you see your mentee again next, they may not make eye contact with you and they may act as if they didn't care if they didn't see you since last March, but guess what they do? And you got to keep showing up. But the effects of these new wounds, we don't even know what they look like yet. Absolutely. And I haven't even, you know, I've done a couple messages to my mentee, but I haven't heard back from her, but she's black, right? And she's in a household of a single mom, right? And so my job as a mentor is going to be open so that if she wants to engage in those conversations, we have the space to do that, right? And I get to say that, Zagariana, I have been marching on the streets for you, right? I have been voting with you in mind, right? Like there are issues in our society that are negatively affecting you because of your identity and lived experience and I am doing all that I can to correct it right and that's what I think being an advocate is right like in the purest sense of actual advocacy right but also being an advocate as a mentor right I am not 
pretending that she's not a person of color. I'm not pretending that she isn't born into disadvantage because of that and because of other situations in her life, right? I'm acknowledging that and saying, then what is my role, both literally in our relationship when we talk with one another, but also outside of that, right? How is my awareness of our relationship and what her life looks like propelling me to act differently, right? Like if I want her to truly live up to her full potential and change the world as our mission statement is, it should require me to take action, right? Like there is something visceral in me that says this world will not be okay until she has the same opportunities that I had, right? And we both have the identity of being women, which means we were disadvantaged in terms of opportunities still societally, but her even more so because of her intersectionality, identity of race, along with her gender description. And so I don't know, like, sorry, I get so impassioned about this. I'm like, we were like, let's talk a little bit about this 40 minutes later. We're still talking but, about it. But but. I'm glad that we did. Yeah. And I hope that we will continue to, and I hope that it will prompt other people to have conversations yeah because yeah. that's really where where it it starts yeah and um, I would encourage people I don't think I put this on the book resource because there are so many great resources that I wanted to try and limit it to what I thought were kind of the most important books for people to tackle with this issue but um, we mentioned redlining a couple times and so if you really want to dig into redlining there's an um, incredible book called The Color of Law The Color of the Law by Richard Rothstein and I don't think I added that to the book but then I got to hear him speak he came to Creighton um, on his book tour Um, and he goes through he is um, a white man so it's not when you look at the diversity of your authors, um, take that into account. But um, he does an incredible job of, of talking about the history of redlining and getting really into details. And, you know, I know we have listeners from literally all over the map, no matter where you're at, um, especially though if you're centered in urban areas, you have either benefited or been uh, afflicted by redlining. Um, and so acknowledge that. And we know that Omaha, Nebraska is still one of the most segregated per capita cities in the country because of the effects of redlining. And I, you know, got that negative uh, or I experienced that in a negative way when I went to Creighton as much as Creighton is I think doing a pretty good job of divesting from you know companies that have you know racist you know uh, intents and and leaders and things like that there and bringing awareness about this and I learned a lot because of my experience at Creighton I was also told when I came as a freshman to not go north of Cumming Street because it's dangerous right because that's where the line of North Omaha is drawn right that is implicit bias right? That is racism in action, that it's quote unquote not safe because that's where North Omaha starts, which is where the redlining was cut off for African-Americans to live, right? In the city. So, you know, it's, it's bad. It's in every area of our society and we don't realize it, right? But our job is to learn, our job is to reflect. And then I would encourage people to, um, one thing that I wanted to say, because this is my own experience is, I have a tendency to not want to take action until I know and understand, right? Like I want to learn and read all the books and come to an understanding before I feel comfortable to step out and take action. And I would encourage people that might have a tendency to feel that way. Like, oh, I'm going to read this book and this book and this book and look into that resource. And I still don't feel like I quite know all the lingo because there are lots of people who are, you know, super well informed about this. Um, step out and take action anyway because there is urgency with this and 
if you're coming from a place of white privilege especially you will never understand right but that's part of the risk of advocacy and and part of our responsibility of stepping out and having these conversations is that we will never know all of it we will never understand we will never have the lived experience to advocate from that place but it's still our responsibility to do so so even if you don't feel ill-equipped step out anyway engage in conversation and be willingness to be taught you know have a willingness to be taught right have a teachability have a growth mindset to say I engaged in a conversation and I said something that wasn't the best but someone pointed that out to me so I'm going to correct my language from here on out there's a beautiful article um, that I caught via on being um, and I I'll send it to you Tess I'll also put it on or worth mentioning um, and it was a um, a woman a black woman's response to her white friend's facebook post yeah it's it's really that's how it's detailed Mm -hmm. on the on being um list of resources and she walked through Mm -hmm. my my empathy really needed and wanted an article like that because she walked through here's what you will never understand Mm -hmm. and I think when you have high empathy, you believe that you have a superpower of being able to walk in someone mm-hmm. else's shoes. Yeah, that's good. And th- so this article is so good for me because it was a reminder that I cannot. Yeah, And I good. will not ever understand. Um, so I'll put it on the worth mentioning board too and I'll send it to you. But it was really helpful for me. It's interesting, you know, we to even think about this through the strengths lens. Yeah. Yes, I think that that's something that I I love even just for an actionable item for people is to reflect on how are your strengths interacting with this movement, this larger movement in society, right? Like where do you feel compelled to enter into the conversation and how, right? So like my tendency, if I don't think, you know, if I didn't have you know, the past eight years of learning about this and taking action about this, I think my tendency would be to sit in a place of buying all the books I can on Amazon, even though a bunch of them are sold out, which is wonderful. Um, Such a good problem to have. Um, They're all like so many books on racism are on the New York Times bestseller now because of what's happening, which I love, right? But that would be my place from my learner, from um, input is number 10 for me, intellection is number eight, context number one, like all these thinking themes that would want to sit in action. But the interesting thing, right and you talk about the empathy and your empathy being kind of this superpower to step into another person's shoes even though in this situation you can't ever fully my empathy right has done you know which I don't claim it a whole lot it's nine I claim it's dominant um but I don't necessarily talk about it a whole lot because my I think my thinking themes tend to dilute it but my empathy and you have walked with me through this which I have to call out your empathy your connectedness um even though relator is not super high, you're a relator that knows me well, your individualization that knows me well, that you texted me on the weekend and was like, stay safe, <laughs> call me if you get arrested. <laughs> um, you know, um, but, uh, you know, calling that out and acknowledging that because there, there's another great, you know, tweet gosh so many resources here's my input in action like this resource and this resource and this tweet um which i don't call claim my input a whole lot but that said act you know um, activism looks different for everyone 
right? Some people will post, some people will be on the streets, um, some people will be writing and calling into their elected officials, some people will be supporting others that are on the front lines. And um, so I am grateful for, you know, your support in that and you knowing what I need when I need it. Um, but when I think about claiming my empathy, because this became so so overwhelming in the media, my empathy went immediately into the basement. And I couldn't get through a conversation a week ago, earlier this week, last week, without crying because I was so overwhelmed by what people were walking through. And then when I started to come to a different place, started to dig myself out of the basement, I had people that knew me and texted me and said, how are you doing? Tell me what's happening. I had friends who literally were like, we're coming over tonight. I don't care what's going on. We know that you need us, right? Like the the great people in my life. So I was climbing out of it. And then my empathy in the balcony said, this is what people are experiencing. So it propelled me to action. Right. Like and I think that's really good to think about balcony basement. Right. Like now I know what people are going through. And so I have a a duty and a requirement to help mitigate the negative effects of what's happening. So I think everyone's strengths are functioning differently during this time. Mm -hmm. And it's good to have an awareness of that. And to do a a well-being check on on people in your life. Yeah. Um, To check in on where people are and how they're doing. Yeah. Absolutely, for sure. Sorry, they're vacuuming outside in the hall. I'm a little nervous. It's gonna start to pick up on sound. They're not the most quiet, most quiet when they vacuum my building. But yeah, so yeah, I think doing a well-being check-in. I think that you know we talked a little bit pre-show, and we probably don't have a ton of time to go into this. But we're whether or not we realize it, we're at a transition right now. Um, that the school year. Sorry, are you starting to hear the vacuum in the background? I am. Do you want to feel like we should pause? Um, yeah, let's pause for just a second. Okay, we're back. Hopefully they're gone and my hallway is clean. Sorry about that. But um, so, yeah, I guess that's a little bit of, I think, even in the midst of the pandemic, we talked about this too, about how our strengths function one way, but then a little later, once we got used to quarantine and life at home, our strengths function a different way. So my adaptability loved the initial part of the pandemic, but then when life started to look the same, it was thrown into chaos and thrown into the basement. The same is true for my empathy um, and how it slipped really heavy into the basement um, because I've been learning about this, that I was starting to really feel what people were feeling and the anger and the frustration. But then as I worked and kind of clawed my way out of the basement into the balcony, it's really propelled me to action. Um, I want to hear a little bit, you know, I don't know that I hope that some people listening are maybe on the front lines and doing a lot of work too, but um, I want to hear a little bit about um what kind of your journey has been with your strengths in terms of reacting to this? Wu um, is really becoming fascinating to me. Yeah. I had a wonderful conversation with my um, my long-term, long, long-term strengths coach, Kristen. Yeah. And um, we talked a little bit about if right now, if I was to take strengths again, where would Wu be? Hmm. Now, I will still claim it because it is me and I have no interest in ever taking my strengths again, as you know. Yep. But I think that I have learned that woo requires a lot of energy and I'm really tired of giving that energy to um, to the wrong spaces yeah. and the wrong places and That's the wrong good. people. So I've been more thoughtful about my woo energy in ways that I can use it. Um, I think 
people would be shocked to know how much pressure I feel to do a Facebook live Mm -hmm. and do it well, because, um, it's seven minutes that probably nobody's really paying attention to, but in my head, I feel that if I reach just one person and they think, Hey, yes, I do need to show up for my mentee and I do need to be there next. And I do need to be an advocate and be a promise keeper. That just happens once. And I think I feel that way, Tess, about everything that I do with my job. Absolutely. Every message that I send out. um, And the, the basement of woo, that feels like a lot of pressure to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, I am grateful for the people in my life who have recognized that, um, I've, walked through kind of a hard year, um, particularly with Wu and what other people think. And I'm just getting to this new space of, I think, renewed authenticity. Mm -hmm. And not that I don't care what people think, because I do, but I've really started to care more about what I think about myself. Oh, so good. And can I stand in integrity? in the decisions that I'm making. Am I in alignment with my values? Am I in alignment with the core values of what we say that we're all about? Am I in alignment with what a mentor is? Um, And just even um, for me personally, the the solitude, Mm -hmm. um, that has helped me to better understand Wu. Absolutely. Because don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I'm missing the parties. Let me tell you that. I'm missing the parties. But I've also realized that, boy, I'm going to be way more choosy about the parties. Mm-hmm. Because not everyone is deserving of your energy. Yeah. You only, you know, if you envision yourself. Mm-hmm. I did this with Lauren the other night, and she was just like, whatever, Mom. <laughs> like, is this a moon reflection? <laughs> By the way, I could go on a long tangent about that. But every night... The moon has been literally waking me because I don't know if you've noticed this, but the moonrise is at a different time right now. So typically the moonrise is in early evening. So if you're, if you're driving on the interstate and you're headed um, east, you would see this giant moonrise, except for on Friday, Saturday night, Saturday night, I was, it was 1030 and I look outside and I thought, what, there's a fire? Like what is happening? And I look and it's the moonrise at 10:30. And so every night hmm. because I mean my I have these big windows and they face to the south. So I have been the every night the moon like wakes me up and every single time the first thing on my mind is and what needs to be eliminated. And what needs to be eliminated? And what needs to be eliminated? That's the first oh thing on my gosh, mind. Of course, connect to so, those. Call it out. Call I, it in. <laughs> Jeez I, Louise. So, but I described this. Okay, so here's your energy. You have this yeah. much energy every day. Mm-hmm. Okay, this ball of energy. If you give it all away, there you, you can't. There's nothing left of you. You have to really be strategic and conscientious about what you do with the best of you. Yeah, and I would say, so everybody starts out with a different size of ball, depending on how you're naturally wired, right? And so your ball might be a little bigger, but you still need to be strategic about how you use it, right? My ball may be a little smaller, so I have less energy to give, but I am going to be strategic about how I give it out, yeah. I agree, totally agree. my, My well-being has improved as a result of, things have slowed down a little bit, Good. Um, April and March, April and May mm-hmm. were very, very difficult for me because 
you know, you do three, four renewals a day. And I believe that every single person deserves the best of Allison, whether they had me at 10 in the morning or at 7.30 at night. That's balcony of woo. That's a beautiful balcony of woo. Mm -hmm. And so I gave all of my energy to nonstop work. And now I'm kind of getting into a better place of understanding um, balance is up to me. Mm -hmm. I have choice in that. So I, I can say, you know what? I, I already have four things on my calendar today. So tomorrow would be okay. Or maybe this conversation can wait. Or maybe I don't need to per- be the person who who does this. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that has been really huge learning for me. That's good. So um, my strengths are illuminating other areas that need work yeah yeah I think it's good and I think a um not only is the concept of giving your best to every renewal a balcony of woo um I think a really mature form of woo is what you just did right woo naturally is like I can be the one up in front of people communicating and using my voice using my platform it's such a strong influencing theme so to say I'm going to use my platform to point to other voices that aren't me, to say, look to these other people who may not have as big of a platform, but have a more important message than anything I can share right now. That's an incredibly, when we talk about balcony basement, right, is any given moment, is it being used positively, negatively, constructively, or deconstruct, you know, destructively, but then the mature or the raw mature, um, you know, lifetime cycle of maturing and growing in our themes i think a really mature manifestation of woo is to know when to silence your own voice and your own influence or using your own influence to lift up other people which is what we saw all yesterday in the share the mic now event right so share the mic now we alluded to it a little bit was this incredible campaign yesterday on social media where white women who have high platforms there were actresses and there were um you know the the gal who created Whole30 was on there and Brene Brown was on there, like authors and speakers. And there were a couple athletes, like people who have great white women who have incredible followings allowed um, women of color, specifically most of them were black women, to take over their Instagram accounts and talk about what's been happening and use their direct platforms to share the message. And then it happened locally. Um, I follow a... um, uh, photographer Ariel Pinkwitz who allowed um, Rachel D. Fox of Go Go Girl um, to take over her Instagram just locally as part of the movement as well. So it was this big national campaign, but then there were these local influencers who, um, white women who allowed women of color to take over their Instagram accounts. But that's mature Which woo. Is, right? But it's also yeah. awesome yes. because it's an idea. Yes. Someone had an idea. Yep. I say this all the time. <laughs> Someone had an idea and they were willing to share it and they made it happen. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. I love it. So, and th- that's, too. but it's a very similar concept to what you did on Friday. And I want to acknowledge that because you're right. Your woo has run you over in the past year. You have mm-hmm. not wanted to acknowledge it. We talked a little bit about how you rag on your woo a little bit, but that is a very mature and a very mature plus balcony manifestation of woo um, that says that I have a platform, I have a following, and I acknowledge that my voice matters and I'm going to use it for good for people around me. I'm going to point it to other voices of people whose messages help us to understand and reflect upon what's happening. And so while you might think, 
did I not do enough? Did I not, you know, I'm still learning, I'm still growing. That's good work right there. Like that's work that will help people to learn more and to take further action um, with their own personal issues of implicit bias, right? Like racism manifests not only individually within people, but within groups, um, within sub you know, subcultures, but then also within our whole society, which is systemic racism. Um, so there's, there's like lots of different layers to it. And so, and it starts, Mm -hmm. we talk a lot about self-reflection, self-growth, personal growth. So I would challenge everybody to do a personal audit, right? Like if you've only gotten to just learn about racism and not experience it, you're coming from a place of privilege. So acknowledging that is the first step, doing your own work behind closed doors on your own, doing the work is important, but then also how can you help to be part of the larger solution to dismantling systemic racism, embedded racism, and racism embedded within our systems, policies, and procedures as a government. So there's a lot of work to do and it seems overwhelming, but there's lots of things we can do right now. So I'm going to probably think for the first time ever post on our worth mentioning board if I can find it. I don't think I ever post, but I'll drop tons of resources <laughs> on it. Sorry, that's you and your input. I'm going to I'm going to resource drop just like so tune in if you want help and I love having these conversations with people who are willing to learn. And so I want to thank you Allie for giving me the permission to have this conversation for saying we need to talk about this because that's just a testament to this community to our friendship to the community of Jen and Millie listeners that if you listened all the way to the end of this episode thank you Um, but then also um, not only within the space of this podcast but if you personally are listening and you want to talk more I would love to engage in further conversations these are meaningful conversations and it does create ripple effects of change and so if you're wrestling with it and you said you say okay when you ask that question Tess I realized I'm in privilege what can I do next reach out to me. I'd love to have one-on-one conversations. So, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for this conversation, for the permission, for the space. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, and yeah, our action item, I would say to be reflect, reflect on your own, um, your own space of privilege, your own interaction with, um, systemic racism or individual racism, um, your own reaction to what's been going on and then how have your strengths been manifesting in the midst of it. So kind of the action items. Cool. Alrighty. Well, with that, I suppose I should wrap us up probably. Thank you everybody for tuning in to episode 71 of Jen and Millie. If you enjoyed today's conversation, consider sharing this episode with a friend. To interact with us and share your responses to the questions and action items we post in this episode, one of the best ways to do that is to follow us on Instagram at Jen and Millie. That's at G-E-N-N-A-N-D-M-I-L-L-I-E. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are exclusively that of Allison Horn and Tess Darman and may not reflect the views of teammates mentioned program at large. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time.